We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Pilato. And today we're here to break down the Giants' first preseason game of the 2023 season after watching the All-22 film. And yes, I know a lot of you have reached out to me since I posted a few of these All-22 clips up on Twitter, which you can go find there as well. Nick has also done a great job breaking down plays. Unfortunately, I do not have the ability to share the All-22 with you or anyone including Nick. Nick and I actually had to go different routes this preseason to get film. Um, That's how, I guess, coveted it is by the NFL or whatever it may be. But it's also the reason why during this podcast, you won't see us putting up uh, clips of the film on the podcast on YouTube if you're watching because that is a legal issue and not something, not a road that we plan to want or want to go down, I guess. Um, And so for this podcast, we will be breaking down the film. Here's our plan just so you can get a little heads up going into it. We're going to go point by point with either a major player breakdown or a topic breakdown, such as a position or a concept. And we're going to start every one of these preseason breakdowns by just going over anything scheme-wise we might have seen on film. Now, for the offensive show, you're going to likely hear a lot less scheme stuff than the defense defense show because one the offense just simply isn't going to put anything out there in the preseason they have no interest it's very vanilla on defense though with Wink Martindale oddly enough even though almost 99% of defensive coordinators in the NFL are showing nothing in the preseason Martindale doesn't give a f he's just playing his scheme and he's calling the games he how he wants to call them and he's doing a lot of interesting things at least in this game and last preseason as well so we'll probably have a little bit more to talk about there um not too much of talk discussion. I don't think there's going to be on like the outcomes of these games because they're preseason. They don't really matter at all. Actually, they don't matter at all for wins and losses. Uh, we'll touch on things that are bothering you, though, such as maybe the special teams, because I know that's a big talking point after the first game. But anyway, Nick, how are you doing today? And, and, and what's going on, man? Dude, it's great to have New York Giants football back. I'm just happy. To go over the All-22, do this podcast with you, have all these glorious, lovely listeners. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Didn't see much on offense from a scheme standpoint, but I will say the Tommy DeVito to Tommy Sweeney touchdown, not only was that a great pass, I do like the idea of 12 personnel releasing both of those tight ends vertical when you consider the Giants have Lawrence Cager and Darren Waller running with the first team. So that could be something to pay attention to when the season rolls around. And I like that even if Bellinger is on the field, to be completely honest. Yeah. Bellinger shows, has shown me multiple times on film in his rookie season that he can get and win vertically. And I got to be honest, like that play to me seems like easy money in the red zone. We'll see. I'm sure there's a way to stop it in the, in the actual regular season. But it feels like easy money. It feels like there's almost always going to be that seam open. 
And if you watch how the Lions played it too, they doubled Bryce Ford Wheaton, who was in the slot. Now, Bryce Ford Wheaton did not have a great game, and we're going to go over that. But it did seem like the Giants were trying to get creative and not just use him as the prototypical X on the outside. He was a number three receiver in three by one sets. They were attempting to get him the football. It just was not a great game for Bryce Ford Wheaton. And when you have that type of size and that type of speed and athletic capabilities and you fall to the undrafted areas of the NFL draft, there's a reason for it. And I think we saw that a little bit on Friday. I mean, it's a good point because look, the NFL understands the things that you discussed, traits, and they're trying to make traits based. It's not the Giants aren't the only GM in the like the only front office in the NFL that's going by traits at the end of these drafts. A lot of there's obviously the debate traits, or you get the guy that you love on film that doesn't have the traits, but you believe in his work ethic, and they go back and forth, and you can shuffle those picks out. But if a guy with those kind of traits goes undrafted, there's a reason for it. Like you said, um, there t- it takes skill to play the receiver position as well. He hasn't really displayed it. Hasn't had a great camp and didn't have a good preseason game, but we'll get into that. I want to start first, Nick, um, with, and and we can talk about DeVito too. We're going to get into that as well. Cause it was a fun game for DeVito. And like, he's got a little, little bit, a little bit of game to him for sure. And I did think like, while they don't show much in the preseason, I did think there were a couple easy money plays like the zone read, uh, the RPO zone read they ran, where it's just like an easy pitch and catch. And you had, you had two pulling giants, offensive linemen to the right. They really sold that as a run play. It was, it was really well done. It was an RPO. Really, yeah, it was RPO. And it was really well done there. It's just the um, line. The Lions were very aggressive with their run defense. They were filling. The RPO was there. So Mike Kafka was like, all right, let's call some RPO plays. And that sprang a couple of those Jameson Crowder quick glance routes over the middle of the field. And the glance routes, what you just said, is like a big part of the staple of the Giants passing game last year. To be honest, let's be let's call spade a spade and and take it like take those take those easy money options. And obviously, DeVito did a good job of that, I thought. But let's get into the first and most important talking point in my mind for this preseason game on offense. It's by far and away John Michael Schmitz. He is one of the most important players who was actually on the field in the preseason one game. The Giants rested a lot of the actual important players, but played a good amount, especially on defense. On offense, there's a few guys that I think will actually have an impact on the season. John Michael Schmitz is certainly won them and he got a lot of snaps in this game he they they really didn't care about like you know resting him or anything and I, I like that I thought they it was important to give him a chance so there's a few plays obviously that stood out to me on tape but I wanted to get before we get into specific plays Nick maybe let's just go over each of our overall impressions of how he of how the rookie second round pick did in his first NFL action first Dan I should have brought this up at the top of the show I'm glad that you're wearing a different shirt today like thank mm-hmm. god you're not wearing that jimmy hendrick shirt it probably smells like crap right now if you have not done laundry but let's transition away from that i know the listeners really enjoyed that conversation wait first do you have anything on that dan you and your stinky shirts it, a it didn't smell at all i want to start by saying that because i know if, if the shirt smells i'm not gonna wear it, okay b okay yes i made a mistake normally typically if i'm wearing a shirt at night after a shower i'll put it to the side and then I'll just like sleep in the nude or something with no shirt on. But I did sleep with it that night. Okay, God bless. Who gives a shit? My room is air conditioned. Okay, I woke up with no sweat. I don't sweat as a human being. So it's just a weird thing about me. So it was it was a lot more fine than people think. And, and guess what? You worry about your own shit. Like, I'll worry about mine, okay? Like, I don't need to worry about your concerns with me. I'm good. I'm good to go. But anyway, this shirt is even more. It was a way more special one to me, okay? Confirmed. Church Street Bagels right here. Frankie Bagels. Church Street Bagels. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't tried it yet, you should because I threw the picture picture up on Twitter a few months ago and people like went in immediately to try it. The, the, the Chipotle melt. It's unbelievable. One of the best breakfast sandwiches in New Jersey. Confirmed. Dan is a lizard person. He does not sweat. Okay. Yeah, I actually weirdly don't, but yeah, go on. <laughs> John Michael Schmitz. So one of the things I appreciated the most about him first, just watching him move because they fold blocked him a lot on outside zone. So a fold block is when we saw it a ton last year with John Feliciano. It's an outside zone tag where the 
center just pulls basically around the guard. It could be the tackle, it could be the guard, depends. It's just where the defensive lineman is shaded. It's more advantageous for the guard to block down on him like it's a power gap concept, even though everybody else is stepping to the play side like it's outside zone. The Giants use that fold concept for John Michael Schmidt several times and just watching him move, and he was not even perfect on a lot of those plays because he had to locate like Malcolm Rodriguez who did a really good job kind of deflecting the contact from John Michael Schmitz. But watching him move, get out of his stance, redirect his weight, and then angle himself towards even Rodriguez, even though maybe the execution wasn't perfect, it's just different from anything we saw last year from a John Feliciano. So that was my first impression. And my second impression was I love the fact that he didn't let an early mistake bother him too much. Because on the first drive, Isaiah Bugs knocked a Tyrod Taylor pass down. And who was blocking Isaiah Bugs on that play? It was John Michael Schmitz. And that could get into your head. Like, man, you know, I got to keep his arms down. This is a veteran guy from Alabama. He's a solid player in the NFL. John Michael Schmitz, this dude is mentally tough, in my opinion. It's not just because of this play. But I, I appreciated how he did not let that deter him. And I felt like overall, he had a pretty damn good game. Yeah, I was definitely impressed with John Michael Schmitz. To me, this was not like the perfect game or anything like that. He didn't blow us, any of us away, but I thought he was really strong overall. To me, better in pass protection than run blocking, but fine in the run game as well. Didn't really lose too many of the leverage battles. I agree with you on the full box. One was, I don't know if it was a, considered a full block, but he was on the move, and I thought he did a good job of locating Jack Campbell and kind of displacing him a little bit, and then Campbell couldn't get to the outside. Mm -hmm. He was pushed off a little. It wasn't like he pancaked Campbell, but he pushed him off enough to the point where the running back could then beat him to the spot. The other one, the Malcolm Rodriguez one, not as good. He located Rodriguez, did a fine job of that, but after that, he didn't really move Rodriguez at all, and Rodriguez ultimately made the tackle on that play. So one good, one bad. I thought the fourth and one, I know it was a double team. People are telling me that on Twitter. I get it was a double team, but I think he did a good job of just having nice leverage, being caught, collected and smooth on that fourth and one and moving his guy back with the double team, which obviously helps. Obviously, the rest of the blocking was not great on that play and the Giants failed to convert that play. So run game, I thought he was pretty solid in overall. The pass game, though, he stood out to me because Here's the biggest difference with me watching John Michael Schmitz for some of these other rookies I've seen throughout the years on the Giants offensive line. And I'm not talking about like Andrew Thomas or like these top four picks. I'm talking about guys who were selected in the range of where Schmitz was selected or typically guys who were selected later that we were hoping would hit. Um, he was really heady for a first for an offensive line playing his first game. The one snap that really stood out to me, my favorite snap by far by Schmitz was the one and you put it up on your Twitter as well. So go check out Nick's Twitter for a breakdown. I also had it on mine. I did a little thread of the games was the one where he does a really good job. Like you said, of flashing his eyes and taking the looping linebacker on this game that the Lions were trying to play up front and coming off his man first. And he was on a double team with the left guard, but then taking the looping linebacker. And he kind of, I don't, you can tell me, Nick, if that's considered a penalty, kind of got his hand up into the neck area. They didn't call it nice, but I, and I don't know if you, that would be considered a penalty. I don't know the rules well enough. You might know, but it's not about if that was a penalty or not. It's the fact that he was quick enough to get to that spot, and he was more importantly heady enough to get to that spot. Because what has killed the Giants for a decade plus? It's been loops up front. It's been stunts. It's been the games that defensive lines have played, sometimes derailing an entire offensive attack. Typically against the Cowboys, it felt like on primetime football, but not just limited to that. And stunts and that type of stuff sometimes takes time for these guys. I mean, Will Hernandez was struggling with it in like year three with the Giants. So it's not like even automatic. But for him to be in his first action like that, live action, and to understand that, to get to that spot. And I guess, you know, maybe you can tell me if it's a penalty or not. I thought it was a good job by Schmitz. That was a big play for me.
It's hard for me to tell exactly where his hands are, but that's an excellent scheme by the Detroit Lions. You have a two Y shade who's just going to penetrate in the A gaps, going to occupy the center and the guard. We see Wink Martindale use alignment to his advantage so much. And the linebacker, I think it was Jack Campbell, if I'm not mistaken, steps to the right to occupy Azudu's eyes, and then he just shoots right left. And John Michael Schmitz was right on top of it. That was an excellent play. I'm so glad that you broke that down. And the, the play that uh, you were referencing before, where he contacts Jack Campbell towards the sidelines, allowing the Giants to pick up a few extra yards, that was a crack toss play. And one thing that really stood out, not just John Michael Schmitz, who pulled around, Isaiah Hodgins blocked John Kaminsky, who's about a 280-pound defensive lineman, who was the end man on the line of scrimmage for the Lions. And Isaiah Hodgins ends up getting put on his ass but he stopped Kaminsky on the boundary side crack toss from locating the running back. I think it might have been Eric Gray, if I'm not mistaken. Isaiah Hodgins, this was he was reduced split. He was right by Kaminsky. But that is very difficult to do when you're a wide receiver. And this is one of those reasons why we're going to see so much yeah. Isaiah Hodgins playing. It's not just because he is very smart, but he is tough to hold up long enough, lose slow enough against a 280-pound defensive lineman, even though you have a great angle. That's difficult to do. And I just appreciate that toughness. And it's something that we grew to love last season when Isaiah Hodgins came in after the bye week. You're 100% right, Nick, because Hodgins has talked about it before on podcasts about the blocking aspect of his game. We've seen it on tape last year. We saw it on tape in that play. In this regard, he has the frame for it, checks all the boxes, and that's important to this Giants team as well because it's not like those toss-crack plays. Those were, those were a part of the game plan last year. We saw a lot of perimeter runs by the Giants. Some of their best work was on those like power gap, pin-pull type concepts on the perimeter, and that's really important to this offense. And if you just have Beasley, Shepard, and Wandell out there, or Beasley, Shepard, and higher, whatever combination of those, those guys, no offense, but that's not as readily available to them as having a six foot four guy like Hodgins, who's incredibly tough at the contact point and has the frame to actually do it against a guy like Kaminsky, who you said is like has a lot of weight on even a player like Hodgins and has a lot of length and size and frame on a player like Hodgins. Imagine that on a guy like Cole Beasley or Wondell Robinson, right? It's going to look a little different and it might not be possible for them to kind of pull that off. So that's a factor for this giant team. The power run game is a big part of this. So I'm, I'm happy you brought that up as well on that specific rep. Uh, one more thing about JMS I want to bring up too, positioning. It's one of the things I love most about this game. Now, when he was pulling and he was folding, he wasn't always, he didn't always sustain the block, like I said, and there's definitely things that he can clean up, but you mentioned his pass protection. He seemed to always be in the right position to not allow the defensive lineman to get to a secondary move. And if they tried to get to a secondary move and he had guards helping him, of course, because it's the interior offensive line, but when he was on an Island. He would just always resync his leverage, reestablish himself. And then he, I just felt like his hands were active. Like he yep. was dictating the rep. He was not allowing the defense to gain any ground on him from a get the hip to hip standpoint, the half man relationship standpoint, or from I'm going to win with my use of hands as a defensive lineman. And he wasn't going up against Aaron Donald. I get it. This is his first action. And I felt like from that standpoint as well, positioning, which is huge in terms of playing the interior offensive line, he was pretty exceptional. Yeah, I agree with you entirely on that. It just did. The moment didn't look too big. For, it was really a good thing about this game, man, with regards to the Giants rookie class. The moment did not look too big for a lot of them. And there were second year guys who I felt like I had a little bit more concern with than some of these rookies as far as that goes. And we'll talk about those players as well. But it was just really interesting to see to me, John Michael Schmitz for a rookie. And I get it like he was a high capital draft pick, especially considering the position and the positional value. And, you know, he's basically the second center off. He was the second center off the board. But that doesn't always work like that. They don't don't they don't always look that collected, calm and smooth to me. And I thought in general, he did a good job winning the leverage battle. But what are you smiling at? 
the second and 13 play with 53 seconds left in the first quarter, there was a two eye shade to the right side and John Michael Schmidt snaps a football shotgun to Tommy DeVito. And this is a second and 13, right? So he engages the block with the, the player who's trying to go through the B gap. The A gap comes wide open. Malcolm Rodriguez, he steps towards the line of scrimmage in the A gap, looking like he's going to blitz, but he was just in coverage, I believe on the running back. But you see John Michael Schmitz engaged with this defensive lineman, the initial two eye shade. And then he just does this. And he just looks really quickly at the A gap. Yeah. He's just very aware. And he he, yes. he seemed to understand where the threats were. And that's been the biggest liability of the Giants offensive line in recent memory. And that's something we always praise Nick Gates for in the past. Like that was a big factor in the Gates ascension, if you want to call it that, during you know his career with the Giants. Now he's with the, obviously with the commanders. But I feel like that's going to be like, because we were told before the draft, like a big factor in why the Giants like John Michael Schmidt so much is Bobby. He met with uh, Bobby Johnson, met with him and thought he was just unbelievably smart for an offensive lineman, just right, just football IQ through the roof. And you hear that a lot, I feel like, in these pre-draft discussions. Sometimes it's right. Sometimes it gets to the field, and it's not there at all, and it just kind of feels like BS to me. This is a good sign, early sign, that that's correct, and that's a real thing, and that's going to show up on the field right away if he, you know, if and when he does win that center one job. Now the big question comes down to who is going to be playing next to John Michael Schmitz come week one. And I think we got a lot of insight into that last night. And the main reason being, and we'll start there because it's the quickest part of this discussion is the Giants didn't even play Mark Lewinsky at all last night. Yes, there's been a rotation at times in camp with occasionally we've seen Azudu at left guard and Bredesen at right guard. Bredesen's played all three spots in camp, even played a little center. But to me, them leaving Lewinsky out of this game tells me that Glowinski has that job locked down. It's not an actual competition. It's a fan fiction competition. Some fans want it to be that way. And, you know, at times, like we've discussed, is the best upside combination, Bredesen and Nizudu. But upside isn't everything. You can't, I always talk about this in fantasy football. In the first round, you don't want to lose your draft by taking the, like, you, that, that, those are your most important assets. Don't lose your draft. It's similar, I think, with the offensive line. Like, upside is cool. It's great. You want to hit the ceiling, but you also don't want to have those liabilities potentially out there. I'm not calling anyone a liability, but I think with Glowinski, they feel a little bit more confident in him doing his job on a more consistent basis. Yeah, I think that cross training that we saw, that was just injury, uh, just yeah. backup plan. You know, that's just yeah. contingency to an injury that may befall Mark Lewinsky. And Bredesen and Azudu, since we're talking about the guards, I wasn't in love with what I saw. There were a couple okay blocks by Ben Bredesen. There was, it might have been a crack toss play, but it, actually it might have been an outside zone play where he was just pinning and they allowed John Michael Schmitz to fold, where he pinned the interior defensive lineman and put him right down and then finished the block aggressively. And you like to see that, but you still see some errors in his game in terms of hand placement, in terms of where he's positioning himself. I thought Bredesen, and I didn't necessarily purely just focus in on the guards. I'm watching the entire offense, but obviously I was paying attention. I felt like still Bredesen might have been a little bit crisper than Azudu on certain plays. There were times where Azudu, I don't know what he's doing with his hands. And one of the things I I, I really loved about Josh Azudu is once he gets you, those are yep. vice grips that he has attached to each of his arms. He has a very, very tight grip, and he does not let you go. But the hands and the punching and the timing, they, they just seem a little bit erratic. And there were a couple plays where the interior defensive lineman went with the bull rush. He tried to grab, he missed. And then at that point, it was like he was losing the rep and either Tyrod Taylor or Tommy DeVito had to make a play to avoid getting sacked. I don't think it was a terrible performance, but it certainly wasn't an encouraging one. I completely agree with you. We have the exact same read on the guard play. I thought 
neither was too impressive, but Bredesen more impressive to me than Josh Azudu. You mentioned the play that I thought was the best rep by Bredesen by far in the game where he pinned down that D lineman and really moved him and did a good job of, of driving him. Azudu, not as many. I didn't, couldn't think of one flash play for me there. And then, like you said, I thought there were definitely some plays where he lost there. You could see the hand usage wasn't where he wants it to be, at least at this point. And we're at a tricky spot, I think, here, Nick, with Azudu. And the vibe isn't, you know, we talk a lot about steady drum beats in the good direction. There's also sometimes some steady drum beats that go in the opposite direction where we want to. And it's a weird spot I feel like the Giants are in right now with Azudu because to me, it seems like not guaranteed, but more likely that Bredesen will open as the starting left guard. And then you're in a weird spot as a second year, former third round pick. If you're not playing and and the, the good news for him is the giants have shown the tendency and probably will run a little bit of a rotation, I guess yeah. at that left guard spot, but it may end up being like a 75, 25 or an 80, 20 type of situation there with Bredesen getting 80% of the snaps or 75% of the snaps. And that's a tough spot for Azudu. Then he goes into year three after this in the off season and like, where is he at? So it's interesting. I don't think, at least based on the first game and the and the training camp practices so far, that he's where we were hoping he might be at this point. But let's keep in mind, he's coming off a major injury, one that some people didn't even think would, would – some people thought it would hold him back from the start of training camp. He made it back in time, but it's a major neck injury. This is not like – he didn't have the same offseason that you would hope he could have to get himself ready, to train himself. He had to recover, and he had to, you know – deal with an injury recovery of an injury, not with training his body to get it ready for. And that that's obviously going to put him behind the eight ball. The unfortunate thing for him is it's like, if you're behind the eight ball this time, August, what 12th, it's hard to just get that starting. It's hard to win the job. I feel like for him. So I think it's a tricky spot for him. And I, right now, after this game, I'm coming out, Nick feeling like it's going to be Bredesen at left guard and Glenn's get right guard. And Bredesen did give up the sack to Benito Jones, yep. I believe. It was kind of a long developing play, but he allowed Benito Jones to win through the outside shoulder and slowly turn him before Bredesen had to let go or was going to be holding. One really nice rep from Josh Azudu that I saw was very quick. It was the, I think it was seven yard completion to Cole Beasley on second and 13 at the end of the first quarter, just because Azudu was really quick with his hands on this one. And he dictated the snap, which was something that I didn't feel like was consistent with his film, but you can see Azudu keep his hands very tight and then he shoots him. And right as he shot him, it was when the defensive lineman was attempting to engage. And you could see the defensive lineman get bowed backwards because the contact hit him. And that's a heavy punch right there from Josh Azudu, but it just wasn't something that I saw consistently. So it's within his game. We've spoken very highly of Josh Azudu. We do think he is the highest ceiling type of interior offensive lineman we have, possibly even over someone like a John Michael Schmitz. It's just reaching that ceiling consistently. That's right. the issue. Came away from this game not overly encouraged by it, but still there were some flashes. I just didn't want to be super negative, I guess. <laughs> and it's hard to see, like, if it's just it's just an interesting spot. I don't want to go over this again, but it's just like, if he's not going to play that much, I don't know how he's going to reach that level that they want him to reach because you need the reps like the train. The practice reps are one thing, but the game reps are the real thing. So it's a it's an interesting spot. We'll see what happens with Zudo. I'm curious if and we'll get into this in a little bit later, because I think we have this at the end of the rundown. But I'm curious if after that, <laughs> the injury situation at offensive tackle right now is I don't what the hell is going on with Tyree Phillips. I don't know. I don't even know. It's so undisclosed. And then um, what's his name? Who uh, Devery Hamilton? Like there's, there's some serious problems right now at offensive tackle from an injury standpoint. I'm curious if they're going to start to cross train him again a little bit. And McKeithen's going to come off the pup, by the way, Marcus McKeithen. That should help the Giants, hopefully, from an offensive tackle depth standpoint, if he's ready to go. That's more of just a blind optimism by me right there. But hopefully, maybe he can work in the mix. But I'm curious if they're going to start to cross train Azudu again at tackle, just because of how bad the tackle situation is 
if Bredesen locks that down. I don't know. But we'll get into the tackle stuff a little bit later. I want to just transition to a few more of the players who actually might make an impact in 2023, barring injuries, and that's at the wide receiver group. And we'll start with Cole Beasley and Isaiah Hodgins and Jalen Hyatt. And one little nugget of insight that I that I gained from this game, which was nice to hear because we don't get this a lot from this staff because because one, Brian Dable's very close vested and two, Joe Shane is. And that's good overall. Like it sucks for us because we're covering the team, but it's good in general. You don't want to give away free information in anything in life, in any kind of game or, or thing you're doing like that. But we heard from Bob Pop on the broadcast that Brian Dable told him behind the scenes that the uh, the the goal of last night's game was to have very limited snaps for Beasley, Hodgins and Breida. Those were the three names he mentioned who he wanted to get off the field early in that game. And we saw that happen on defense that ball with a player we'll talk about. But that just told me a lot right there, Nick. I don't know what it told you, but that stood out to me. Um, maybe get into that first if, if you have any thoughts on that. We'll get into their, how they played. Yeah, Jamison Crowder wasn't on that list. There's a reason why he wants them off the field. He wants them to dip their toes in the water a little bit, but also get off before they're injured. He knows yeah. them. He trusts them, knows what they can do on the football field. Doesn't really need to see that much. Just wants to get them a little bit more acclimated to playing football. And that came off weird, acclimated. But Cole Beasley specifically, Dan, he moves different. He's a 34-year-old. I did not expect him to come into camp and move that well. He's a very, I think the adjective I'm looking for is sudden. He's very sudden because it's not like straight line speed. He's quick. Yes, quick and sudden are very similar. But when he catches the football and turns, it's like that. It's very, very fast. It's prompt. And I really think he has a spot on this roster. And I think those comments that Brian Dable stated also substantiate that. You're 100% right. And he had one of my favorite reps of anyone on film in this entire game. And I get it. Like he's a veteran player going up against backup players. So we have to keep that in mind. But the option route he ran where he caught that ball, first of all, the separation he created was awesome. But to me, it's not even about that. Like I've seen Crowder create separation. I've seen Richie James create separation on those types of routes. It's the transition upfield. It's that lateral agility, smoothness, and athleticism for him to make that catch and then turn that thing upfield while losing nothing. Like he lost nothing, it felt like. That's how smooth that transition was. I felt like he lost zero ground. And then pick up, what, another eight, nine yards after the catch? That's big right there. That's the type of stuff that can work against first-team defensive backs, in my opinion, as well, not just the second-team defensive backs. And it's not like, you know, one of Crowder's big plays last night, not to knock him, because I think he's also a professional-level receiver who would be a better option than most of the guys you can get on the waiver wire or most of these, like, long-shot types that are on the, always on the back end of the roster. But the difference is on one of his big plays, it was like you said, it was an RPO glance route. Like it's kind of an easy, it's it's not as, it's not the same. I'm not learning as much as I am when Beasley makes that catch, transitions upfield, loses absolutely zero ground. And here's the thing, like, yes, he's 34, but he also was a mega athlete. I always talk about this, like watching that dude at his height do a 360 dunk when he was with the Cowboys, like that's crazy level athleticism, explosion, lateral, all the things you want, the real functional athleticism. So I was very impressed with Beasley. I think he's locked into a roster spot on this team. Locked in. I like that call right locked there. So that was a second and 10 play that we're referring to. And it was a three by one set where Cole Beasley was the number three receiver just off of the offensive tackle. And that was a delayed release that he ran. And you need the timing. You need to understand where you are on the football field. And against a man coverage, I believe it was a cover one call from the Detroit Lions. You run the number one and the number two receiver outside of Beasley vertical. You're going to clear out. So all Cole Beasley needs to do, beat the apex defender, the defender that is against him to the outside. And that's exactly what he did. And a lot of that is done tempoing your timing while being deceptive off the line of scrimmage to maybe fool that you're going inside, not 
not showing your feet and your hips pointing to the outside, just staying very disciplined. And that's something that Cole Beasley has done his entire career. So he catches that football. And as you said, very sudden, very quick to get up field, picked up, I think an extra 13 yards after the catch as an 18 yard gain from Cole Beasley. That, like you said, man, that can translate. It's good stuff. All right, let's talk about any of the other receivers we missed. Hodgins, for me, nothing too crazy. I think the best rep was the block that you mentioned. His catch was a solid job of transitioning upfield. Nothing crazy there for me. Hyatt, we didn't get much of a chance to see. They tried to get him involved early on a design throw around the line of scrimmage, but that was just so poorly <laughs> poorly executed by the Giants. It's funny, you watch preseason, you see like that version of it, the Giants ran, then you see like the version the Bears ran to DJ Moore, and you have like 13 block blockers out there in space, like perfectly aligning and blocking everything for DJ Moore to just like, cruise on into the end zone on a poorly thrown pass by Justin Fields. So it's just like, I don't know. I hope it doesn't carry over this year, but the Giants were not good, in my opinion, at blocking screens last year. I thought they were horrific at screens of the running backs, horrific at those bubble-type screens. There were just very few good executions on those plays. And I just, at this point, like, until that improves, I don't even want that as part of the playbook in the regular season because I just don't believe in it right now. Um, But we'll see if that can change. It's obviously the preseason. But anything on those two receivers that stood out to you? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. John Kaminsky blew that play up and John Kaminsky shout out. He was a part Love of him. my group when I, well, 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 actually I like know him, you know, I have his phone number. He was a part of my group when I interned down at the senior bowl, it was a very respectful young man coming from a very small school. That was a good read by him. But in terms of Jalen Hyatt, look, he still, you saw his speed. It wasn't like he was creating a ton of separation. I'm not overly worried about that. They didn't really try to test the, the defense too much with his speed. He had one release. It was towards the bottom of the screen. I'm not sure if it was a boundary or the field side, but it's towards the bottom of the screen was a slide release where he was trying to win inside on a slant. So he tried to open up the defender who I think was basically, I think his leverage was directly across from him. And the defender made contact. The cornerback made contact on Hyatt. Hyatt did a good job using his hands, but I saw Hyatt kind of stumble just very subtly, very slightly out of his break. And it just made me wonder the strength thing. That could be something that crops up because we haven't really discussed that. We're, we're very wowed by the huge plays mm-hmm. in training camp as we should be. And he's already exceeding our expectations. But what about when Trevon Diggs contacts him? 
What about when some of these DBs use their physicality against him? How is he going to overcome that? That could be one thing that stifles his elite speed and something that he might have to overcome could lead to him being off the line of scrimmage. I'm not saying he can't do it, but I did see him stumble once he was contacted and jammed. Yeah, it's an amazing point, buddy. It's an astute point. You're not going to hear that in a lot of podcasts. I think a lot of people just want to go the fluff route and just hype up the good things. But that was an issue on his film against SEC-level corners and defensive backs. So it stands to be a potential issue against NFL defensive backs. His play strength was not something that impressed any either of us on film. It's just calling a spade a spade. There's a reason he goes 74 overall, right? Like, it's not like – it's not a – we're not – breaking we're not you know, like reinventing the wheel here he'd, he'd be a much higher pick if he was a stronger player at the point of contact we'll see if it matters you know we'll see if he can get over that there's other ways to win like i feel like safe flowers to me was a great example of that when i watched his tape i just thought like it doesn't even matter you couldn't get your hands on him he was so quick in his release off the line of scrimmage and i could potentially get to that point as well second team receivers nick any uh, so I want to hear, we can go second and third. Let's group in all the rest of the receivers in this one. So Colin Johnson, obviously the injury, that one stands out. That sucks. I mean, this dude is just so unlucky. He worked his way back from that Achilles. I hope it's not serious. We don't obviously know right now what it is, but it is, it was, it was a knee injury, correct? That's what it was ruled as at least. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. That's not good. Lower body. Is Any lower body good. injury to him is, is lower. Is like, right. Like I hear abdomen with. Cordell Flott, and I'm like, nah, whatever. Like he'll be, he'll be fine. He'll be back, and not too worried at all about that. Oh, Aaron Robinson last year. Aaron Robinson last year was abdomen, and then he had an appendectomy, and we're like, oh, true. Good point. <laughs> that was like that was, took a four weeks of his season or something like that. That's a good point. I hope it's not it doesn't lead to an appendectomy, but I guess I feel like that was like the more extreme case of that. But you never yeah. know. But lower half, I just hate to see the the, the knee, the ankle, anything of that is tough, but. Let's talk about second team receivers. Obviously, the big struggle and the big talking point among Giants Twitter right now is Bryce Ford Whedon. Um, we can start there if you want, or we can get into any of these other players first. Yeah, let's start with Bryce Ford Wheaton, just because, I mean, we considered him in a direct battle with Colin Johnson. Colin Johnson gets injured. We're not certain what's going on with Colin Johnson right now, but Bryce Ford Wheaton did not do himself any favors in this game. The drop on third down, that was a slant where he won inside. That's that's excellent. Ball hit him right in the chest. And what does he do? He doesn't just drop it, Dan, but he did what he showed on tape so often at West Virginia. He oh, bobbled man. it up in the air. It was right there For to be interception opportunity. Yeah. Or an interception opportunity. He had one play where he broke over the middle of the field on a dagger concept. He was running the deep in. It was against a cover two defense, I think. And the vertical split the safeties. Both the safeties combined on the vertical. And you just have Bryce Ford Wheaton sitting in the middle of the field. It was an excellent play call from Mike Kafka because the Lions basically just ran cover two. That was like the only yeah, zone defense they ran. And then they ran cover one and man coverage and blitzed sometimes. It was very, very elementary type of uh, defensive play calling from the Detroit Lions. But Bryce Ford Wheaton was wide open in the middle field, but Tommy DeVito threw it at his feet. And that wasn't on Bryce Ford Wheaton. It was just DeVito trying to throw across his body. Very difficult play for the uh, young quarterback. But other than that, man, he just wasn't really getting open all that often. And the opportunities that were there for him, like the one-handed catch up the sidelines, he could have possibly hauled that in. Maybe not with one hand, but he could have got his yeah. other hand there. He couldn't secure it. And it's just, you know, you have all that potential, but when your number's called, you're you're not rising to the occasion. And it was just a bad preseason week one game for Bryce Ford Wheat. Can he bounce back? Sure. I like the fact that they were using him in the manner that they were using him at a variety of different spots. In the slot. That was really interesting. Imagine trying to cover Dar Darnay Holmes is the Giants slot defender over the last yeah. while, right? Imagine yeah. five foot nine, five foot ten Darnay Holmes up against Bryce Ford Wheaton, who's running a four three eight. It seems so good until the ball goes into his hands and it bobbles into the air for an interception. Like it feels so good. It seems so good. And then the ball goes his way. 
Yeah, I don't know, Nick. I feel like with me with Bryce Ford Whedon, I'm not I'm not haven't done it yet, but I'm very close to just closing the book on this one. You know me with these back end roster type guys. Like I was a little excited at first. I think there's some traits there, but you need to be able to the number one most important thing you need to be able to do is execute the position. Part of the biggest part of that is catching the football, right? And you had that's if you don't and everyone's gonna be like, but you love Darius Slayton. It's like, okay, but Darius Slayton is not just is not at, people make him out to be so bad at the catch point. He's not as bad as people make him out to be. You all saw the catch he made from Daniel Jones. Like he has the capability at times of doing things like that. He's not, this is different levels, right? We're talking about different levels of it. And, and obviously it's not just that the giants are obviously going to look into other factors to be it with Bryce Ford Whedon, but my excitement level has gone way down with him in general. Um, and I just think it's too crowded of a receiver room for me to worry about a player like that, especially if he's not making plays in camp, really, which he hasn't. He's not creating buzz there. The first preseason game, he didn't create buzz and instead maybe went backwards there. It's just not a good trend. We're just not on a good trend right now with him. And I don't know what value, at, if at all, he has on special teams, which right. is going to be so crucial for these back end wide receiver spots. Some other notes on wide receivers, they didn't do much. But I felt like Jaden Mickens and some of the routes that he ran, I think he had one catch, just seemed like he knew where the hell he was and what he had to do based on the leverage of the defense. I think on his one catch, he ran just a little spot route, which was so common in quick game. Mike Kafka, Brian Dable offense last season, and he had a linebacker to his inside and he had the nickel to his outside and he found the perfect spot to be right where he had to be. And Tommy DeVito delivered the football, little things like that. It's not going to really stick out to you, but you could just see how he flowed away from the defender and went where he was supposed to based on the route concept. A lot of those route concepts, it's just like a little spot route to the wide receiver and the running back runs a flare. And the idea is the running back is going to drag that nickel defender away from away from the, the spot route. So Mickens just needs to find where he has to be in relation to where the running back is and where that defender is going to be while also paying attention to the defender that is on him. And I just felt like on that one play, he did a solid job. It's just, is Mickens going to make the team? Probably not, especially if he's not the punt returner, which many believed he would be if Eric Gray is going to seize that job. Yeah, I think you broke that down well. And I think you obviously discussed his roster standing pretty well. It's just going to depend on if he can make the special teams impact. Anything else to receivers before we move on to a talking point right now on Giants Twitter? Uh, Pimpleton, he he's kind of fun. Yeah. But again, I, he's probably not going to make the team. Yeah, he would have also needed to kind of claim that punt return job, I think, to have a shot. Um, yeah. All right, let's talk about the offensive tackle situation for the Giants right now. There's oh, a big talking point on Giants Twitter. Look, okay, we all watched the same game. Cunningham a disaster. Like the Parrot, Parrot. I'm I'm out on Parrot too at this point. Sadly, Nick. Like he flashes occasionally in the run game, and I focus on that a little bit on the tape. And he can move really well. He is the athlete we all thought he would be when Dave Gettleman scouted him and like loved him. But the passing game stuff, it just if it doesn't click by now, it's just, like so hard for me to believe that it's gonna get there. It's been so yeah. long, and so. If it's not there, there's no real upside because if you can't pass protect in the NFL, you have no chance as an offensive tackle. Literally none. They're not signing you to – they're not scouting you to run block, really. I mean, it helps, but it's a, it's a small smaller portion of the job. And so people are, like, going crazy about this, Nick. But to me, it's just like – I don't know. I don't watch film of all 31 other teams, Nick, and I know you don't either. No one has time for that. But I just feel like this is case around the NFL. I felt this way for a long time. I just think offensive tackle is one of the scarcest positions in the NFL – by far, not a lot of people can do this job well. That's why you see a ton of even top draft picks bust. You miss on first, you miss on second, you miss on third. You very rarely develop these day three guys at this position. It's an incredibly tough position to play at the NFL level. You're at a disadvantage on every single play. Moving backwards as somebody's coming full head of steam.
steam going toward you. And you have to be within the rules of the game, as in don't hold them, don't get your hands outside. There's so many different things you have to do to, to win a rep. So I'm not like as worried as other fans are. Like we have been worried about the tackle three position for a while, Nick, for sure. And this weird situation going on with with um, Tyree Phillips is concerning me because we both, me and you both were like, eh, nothing. We're not too worried because if we have to throw Tyree in there, we saw it last season. He wasn't great, but he was okay at right tackle in real live game reps against NFL level edges. So like worst case scenario, they throw him in. But I just like, when I see this stuff, Nick, I like, yes, I want a great swing tackle. I'm just like, where am I going to get one? Like somebody posted a reply to me, Nick, like, oh, do you think the Giants will be able to claim a, a tackle on waivers on cutdown day? And I get this question every single year. There's, I get the, I've got these questions dating back to like 24-7 days, and my answer is always the same. No, there are no quality, capable NFL starting level swing tackles available on the waiver wire. That's the state of position. It's the toughest position to play in the NFL besides maybe tight end. I think it's even tougher than tight end. They don't grow on trees. There's none available. None will be available on waivers whatsoever. Your best bite might be to try to like pull someone out of retirement, Nick, like a 38 year old dude who's like played in the NFL, like one of these vets. Like if Dwayne Brown wasn't on an NFL team right now, like pull somebody like him out and be like, you want to make six million to be our swing tackle. The Giants don't even have that kind of cap space anyway, so they don't really have that option either, you know. So it's a tough spot they're in, but that's kind of my take on it. Like you can evaluate if you want to throw some evals on on what you saw from these guys. That's fine. To me, it's not all that important because none of them are going to make their roster. I don't think. I'm sure one of them will make the roster. I you think, think Davis or Cunningham. Oh, 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 no, including Parrot. No. will yeah. make. Yeah, all right. Davis is so, talking those two because everyone's going crazy. Yeah. Gotcha. So Tyree Phillips, the Giants actually got him, I believe, after final cuts last year. I think he's okay. a capable swing tackle, somebody who you can start and it's not going to murder you. It's not an ideal situation, but I, I have some respect for what Tyree Phillips could do. And I also like that he is versatile in terms of Wyatt Davis and Corey Cunningham. Wyatt Davis is a guard by trade. And he was put into an offensive tackle spot because there was no Debrie Hamilton yeah. and there was no Tyree Phillips. And he got abused. He gave up two sacks and six pressures. Not as bad as Corey Cunningham, who gave up two sacks and eight pressures and also got Tommy DeVito killed on a helmet to helmet hit, which might have been Tommy DeVito's best play of the night, which says a lot on the play where there was no reason for Tommy DeVito to believe that he wasn't going to have protection from Corey Cunningham. Corey Cunningham just didn't block the end man on the line of scrimmage because he thought the linebacker was coming. The linebacker just stayed put and Tommy DeVito just took one right to the face, but yeah. DeVito actually got rid of the football into the fly. It didn't do anything, yeah. but that's a pretty damn smart play for a UDFA rookie like Tommy DeVito. So I was really impressed by DeVito from that one standpoint, but damn, yeah, it was bleak. Corey Cunningham and Wyatt Davis, they're not a professional offensive lineman, offensive tackles and, I'm kind of on the same train with you. I don't think they're going to make the team, especially if Hamilton and Phillips are okay and they can dress and those guys will likely get those roster spots. And that Phillips point by you was interesting because they did claim him though. He was like a guard. They like claimed and like converted mm -hmm. to tackle, which hey, look, maybe the giants can out scout the league. It's possible, but these examples are so few and far in between. And Baltimore, just, they just like draft two offensive linemen. Like, yeah, they year. draft ben Cleveland, Daniel Filele. No line picks. Because they're smart. They understand how important it is to churn O-line picks and to keep improving that depth. And the Giants have done a much better job of that, by the way, lately. Offensive tackle yeah. hasn't been hit as much outside of Neil, but they will. The, that in coming drafts when they have more – like, they have other – they had a lot of needs to fill. Um, but, yeah, and Parrott also had to play left tackle. He's been training at right tackle. That's not easy, obviously, as well to flip like that. But the Parrott issues are not, I don't think, you know, isolated on if you're playing left or right side. It's just – 
either side going to be an issue there. And so we'll see what happens there. Let's we're going to wrap with some talk on DeVito. Let's talk running backs before that, though. Um, we can talk a little bit of Brita, though. He had one snap. I don't think that's that important. Let's talk James Robinson, Gray and Corbin. I have some thoughts on Gray and Robinson specifically, and I know you've done some scouting on Corbin as well. So where do you want to start there? Corbin's one really nice run, the 33 yard. I think I could have done that. The the uh, the, the contained defender got sucked up way too far, and basically the tackle ended up blocking two defenders, but the defender over-pursued and ran himself out of the play, leaving a huge alley for Deshaun Corbin. Still, I felt like out of the three, I don't think it's crazy. Deshaun Corbin might have had the best game still, and I'm not even giving him a lot of credit for the 33. I felt like in pass protection, he had a couple yeah. just go up into the A-gap and stick a linebacker. I felt like Eric Gray, it was either once or twice, or maybe one and a half because one was at least adequate where he kind of muffed the pass protection and wasn't all that great. So from pass protection standpoint, I, I don't think any of these guys did excellent, but I think Corbin probably did the best. I don't really think either of them or any of them impressed in terms of running the football, but how much can you put that at the feet of the running back when the blocking was pretty atrocious up front and the lions were really just focusing on their run fits and being very aggressive. Your take on that, that last part, Nick is exactly how I felt watching this game on film. I just felt like, do I want to, did I want to see more from Gray specifically because we like Gray as a prospect versus the rest of this group? Let's be honest, at least for me, I think Gray is in a totally different level right now than I have James Robinson and, and Corbin. Um, I know some people like Corbin. I was never as big of a fan. But yes, do I want to see more? Sure. But like, I felt like there was no opportunities for him to really show more Eric Gray because the blocking was so bad, like you said. And then more importantly, the Lions were so aggressive in their run fits. And that's like preseason football, right? Like there's a lot of that. We're going to see that a lot. Though last year, the Giants were super impressive with those second and third teams in the run game. So that was interesting. Like we saw a lot of good running back play last year, and I think it'll come for Eric Gray. I just feel like this game wasn't going to be that time because the O-line was in such shambles with those, with those later ladder groups. And so I'll wait to make any kind of evaluation on gray, like the trademark quickness, I don't think was there in this first game, but that's fine. Like there was no real opportunities for him to get into space and make someone miss. It felt like he had to kind of just lower his shoulder and play power game. Same with James Robinson. Who I felt did a decent job shaking off contact. Wasn't that fast. Isn't that fast anymore. Probably at this point in his career, but it just felt like the, the resounding, thing here nick was they were constantly getting contacted these backs and they're constantly having to create yards after contact you want some more opportunities for them to create yards before contact and to get into space where they can force missed tackles that wasn't really available to these running backs in this game so it's a tough eval for me i'm kind of just in a, at a standstill there yeah i'm right there with you we'll have to wait and see what happens with the panthers and the jets game yeah, those would be much, and those will be more fun games to watch. Let's be honest, like that. I don't want to go too into this, Nick, but this was a horrific preseason game to watch, in my opinion. This is some of the worst Giants football I've watched in years since the Joe <laughs> Judge. It was like, let's be honest, we saw mostly second and third teamers, and it was ugly football. The O line was not there for the Giants. The defense was great all game, sure, but that's the same thing on the other yeah. side. And and we'll talk about that now with Devito because before I get into Devito, I just want to make this point on Daniel Jones because it, it stood out to me watching this type of football that we watched last night. And by the way, as you mentioned with Lions and Jets, or I'm sorry, with Jets and Panthers, we're going to get more of the first teamers and, and and at worst second teamers in those games, so it's going to be better. But just watching this game. Like Nate Sedfeld's a guy who at one point NFL teams felt like could be a long-term backup with potential to start. And you could see like the flashes on it. Like he stands tall in the pocket, delivers that ball down to Jamison Williams. That was a sick ball. The whole shot he hit against like that cup, that defense, mm -hmm. nice ball. But like, you also see why like this guy can't work in the NFL too. And then you see the veto play and even Tyrod Taylor to an extent. 
it just makes me appreciate Daniel Jones so much more. And it also makes me realize how far I've come on my thought process as far as paying court, the quarterback position. Cause there was a point in time where I was along the lines of, you don't want to get yourself in the Jared Goff situation. You don't want to get yourself in the Kirk Cousins situation, all those situations by situation. I mean, paying a massive contract to a guy who maybe can't take you over the top. And now you've allocated cap space. I don't look at the position like that anymore. I look at the position. Like if you have a young asset at the position who's shown any flashes, pay them because in my mind, it's so hard to get talent at this position that actually works. Like it's so hard to find competence at this position. Nate Sudfeld's not competent. DeVito had a fun game, but like, let's be honest. If DeVito was forced to play an NFL game, it would look a lot like what we saw from Fromm a couple years ago. It's so hard to find competent play at quarterback. Sudfeld should be there. Like you see the flashes, like this guy actually should have it. He can stand tall in the pocket. Sometimes it looks like he do a decent job manipulating the pocket. Good, tall throws downfield. But then it's like flashes of just like this dude can't move and keep an offense on track at all with how he looks in the pocket from a present standpoint. And some of the, the, you know, even some of the lateness of his throws. So I just watching these types of quarterbacks play football, Nick, it just made me think about how far I've come on kind of my thought process on, on, on paying the quarterback position. I'm so glad you said that, especially when your quarterback and Daniel Jones possesses, has the athletic ability, has the work ethic. And also now, and I think this is probably the primary reason why you've come around on this mindset, the coaching. Yes. You have a really coaching staff, a quarterback with athletic ability and a quarterback with the work ethic that he's going to put in. He's going to give it all maximum effort. All those cliches, they are very relevant. Then at least you're going to have an opportunity to be in the dance. And the Giants have that opportunity to be in the dance. Are they the Kansas City Chiefs? No. Is Daniel Jones Patrick Mahomes? Absolutely not. But the Giants are still competent enough because of their coaching. With the Jason Garrett offense, there is no shot that the Giants were going to yeah. be in that type of scenario. But Brian Dable and Mike Kafka afford the Giants that luxury. Yeah, 100%. You said it great. And I just think it's like there's like a big spectrum when it comes to post-snap processing and in general pre- and post-snap, just processing at the quarterback position. And we've talked about Jones, how we want him to take another jump this year. He took a big jump last year in that regard. But even the jump that he took to get to where he was last year, it stands out so much when I watch these types of quarterbacks, right? Like there's such a different level of process. He's already so much further along from processing standpoint, from a field standpoint in the pocket, from knowing when to get rid of the football, where to get rid of the football, keeping an offense in rhythm and on track, like so much further along than, than these types of quarterbacks. And it just stands out to me in games like this. Um, but let's talk about DeVito who had a fun game for the situation. Obviously the touchdown he threw to Sweeney was a really nice ball. I liked it. It didn't, didn't have a lot of arc on it to it. Kind of just like a quick rip, quick snap of the wrist and just drop right in there. Perfect ball placement. That was a fun throw. I thought the play that we talked about earlier where John Michael Schmitz picked up the stun, thought it was a pretty good like pocket feel by him to understand like he could step up into that and run a little bit. Um, it was funny because he was running pretty fast for him. And then he got like, he got lateral and he's like, oh shit, I can't finish this run. I got to slide. Like there's no more space for me to go. I took this as far along as I could possibly take this run. But overall with DeVito, like definitely some interesting stuff. Like he, he was okay. Uh, you know, that's pretty much where I was at with him. He was repping the Cornicello too in the post game press oh, conference, yeah? which I respect. Oh yeah. Yeah. What an Italian name too. Paisano, Tommy DeVito. Oh, such a paisan. Don Bosco. Hey, what? I went to Don Bosco in the Jersey kid. What's up? I was going to say, isn't that what, uh, what's his name? Isn't that what, um, Joe Pesci was named in Goodfellas? Isn't that, wasn't he Tommy DeVito? I'm going to look this up. I think that was, I think you're right. It was definitely Tommy. You're correct. Hold on. I'm going to look this up. By the way, I figured out, uh, why people say I, I push my biceps up, Nick. When I go to the computer to look something up, I 
put my arm that like it's just me using my tabs like it's not me pushing my bicep i'm just literally going to the to the laptop to move to a different tab but now i realize that just having looked at that but yeah no 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 it was tommy tommy d simone i thought it was tommy De no that's who it was actually based on fictional character yeah. was tommy devito yeah it was tommy was devito yeah d simone yeah the real one yeah, yeah there's probably people who are huge fans of goodfellas screaming at us right now specifically me being like you should know this yeah what is wrong with you it's italian true. from new jersey i uh i appreciated what tommy devito did like i said the, the sure. one my favorite play was i, I think it might have been a one-yard gain to just sean corbin he got absolutely annihilated but that's a smart play he yep. realized the pressure was coming in we've seen that so many times where the undrafted rookie has no idea the pressure is coming and just gets freaking annihilated and then it's a fumble and a defensive touchdown no he got rid of the football and just took the hit also love yep. the play that you brought up and the throw to tommy sweeney had a couple nice throws the rpo made the nice read the detroit lions they they blitzed and they really pressured off the rpo so the glance route to Jameson Crowder was wide open. The the window on the one slant route, that might have been off an RPO as well, to Jameson Crowder as well. I thought it was much tighter on the broadcast. Yeah. And I watched it on the way too. I was like, oh, that's a bigger window. But still, there's a rat in the hole in man coverage. By rat in the hole, I mean there's a middle hook defender underneath. He still needs to fit that football right in a specific spot to where that linebacker can't make a play. And he did it. This undrafted kid, I felt like it was fun. We'll be talking about him like we talk about Corey Washington and uh, Alex Bachman in the years to come. My favorite rep from DeVito, actually, besides the touchdown, was the Beasley throw earlier in the game. I just felt like it was mm. good rhythm, good timing, and good ball placement when, when Beasley came out of his break there on that uh, option route. So, yeah, fun stuff with DeVito. Anything else before we sign off here, Nick? No, nah, we're good, man. All right, thanks again for tuning into the Big Blue Banter podcast. This was an all-22 film review of the offense in the preseason first game, our biggest takes. Stay tuned. Keep it locked and loaded on the page. Defensive film review coming as well. Some interesting things to talk about there. Otherwise, please like this video if you're still watching. Like, hit that like button. There's going to be... I'm looking at it, Nick, now, and every video we put out these days is starting to get better and better traction. That I'm excited about. The thing I'm not excited about is when I click on a video, it has 6.2 thousand views and 132 likes. I just feel like that ratio is just not great and figure it out guys, please guys and girls help us out. Like it's going to take you one second to move your arm and click like on this thing. We can't have 174 likes and 6,000 views. It's just like, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. We need these likes. So please help us out. Do that hit subscribe button as well. You know, the rest have a good week. And we'll talk to you soon. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.
www.thepeopleshow.com.